I neglected earlier to express appreciation to our musicians this morning, those from the open door service that's always at 845 joining us this morning, as well as Daniel Stipe and uh, Michael Gray for their fine music addition for our worship this morning. Our scripture lesson is from Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. If you have your pew Bibles, I invite you to turn to that as I read it aloud. It's the story about Jesus going to the temple and Mary and Joseph wondering where he was when they couldn't find him on their journey back home. It's a familiar story and one I think that has some real meaning for us. Uh, So I invite you to listen now for God's word. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and their friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. One of the constant questions I'm always asking myself is whether I'm doing God's will or whether I'm doing my will. Not on big issues like whether I should take a church or a certain call, whether I should serve on some national committee of the PCUSA, and obviously not on the big issue of whether I should get married because it's just not an issue evidently for me. But more the question for me about whether I'm doing God's will is on smaller things. For example, should I take a stand about payday loans? Or should I make my position known on some issue in an upcoming election? Should I confront someone who's being less than Christ-like in their actions of someone else? Or someone who has criticized me for what I did or I didn't do? Should I give to this nonprofit organization or should I give to another nonprofit organization? Is it God's will or my will to figure out what to do with leisure time or to do with my retirement time? At least for some of us, trying to figure out God's will causes us to pause and at least ask the question, what would God have me do? What is God's will in my life versus my own comfort and convenience and just what I want to do? When am I following God's will and when am I just doing what I want to do? I declared one time on a cruise that I took to the Caribbean that I was going to go gambling to a casino. It was big time for me to walk into some places like that. It was the late 70s, and I decided, well, the church I was serving had a building program going on, adding a new education wing. 
And so I said, Lord, everything I win goes to the building fund. So I took all of $20, which at that time was a good bit of money, and also the fact that I didn't want to just wither away everything I had. And I went and I gambled and I lost everything. And I came back to the cruise line and I thought, maybe God didn't want that sinful and tainted money to be part of the building program. Now, I've come a long way since then. I still don't gamble and I've never bought a lottery ticket. But I have a new way of thinking about God's will versus my will. And this example I give about something I did and it didn't work out must not be God's will, I don't think has anything to do with God's will. I've come to a whole new understanding of what God's will is all about. And I got intrigued with this notion when I realized the scripture passage that was set today on the lectionary for this first Sunday after Christmas about Jesus going to the temple and about the fact that he was not found by his parents. Now, you can interpret this passage one way about parent-child relationships and how they don't get along. But you also can interpret it another way about God's will versus my will. A little background about the passage. In Judaism, there are three festivals that one is supposed to pilgrimage, pilgrimage to every year. And if you live so far away from Jerusalem, then the one you need to get to is the Passover. And that's what Mary and Joseph were doing because the distance had been so great to the others that they were going to the Passover to fulfill their religious obligations. The scene was set. The other piece is that when you become 12 years old as a male, you need to go to Passover to get ready for 13 when you become of age. So the scene was set for them as they went to Jerusalem. And oftentimes, because of robbers and other folks along the way and not any security, they would travel in caravans, big groups of people that would go together as one group helping to protect one another. They went to the Passover, celebrated the feast, and then they started home. They'd gotten a day's journey out of Jerusalem, And the day's journey was about 27 miles, so those folks knew how to walk. And then they realized they didn't know where Jesus was. Now, that's not unusual because the caravan was so big and everyone knew each other that he could have been another part of the caravan and just was involved with other folks. But they couldn't find him, so they traveled a day's journey back to Jerusalem, 27 more miles. And then on the third day, they finally found him. He was in the temple sitting with the teachers, asking questions, and listening. Now, Mary and Joseph were pretty accepting parents. I don't know that my parents would have been so nice to me. They would have had a stern conversation with me as well as other physical kind of experiences. And yet, Mary and Joseph just didn't seem to know what to do. But an insight for me about this encounter in the temple is that Jesus in the temple trying to discern God's will was not looking so much for what is that will so I can go do it. He was not trying to discover if I do this certain thing, I'm doing God's will. No, he was in the temple as a way for him to learn about who God is. See, many of us think that God's will is some action plan we're supposed to take. 
It's something that we're going to discover and that's going to set me on my road to do what God wants me to do. And I think Jesus was simply saying, no, that's not it. Jesus was maturing in his faith, sitting among the teachers and listening to the teachers and asking all kinds of questions. He was inquiring about his faith. He was not trying to discover what he should do in some kind of official action. For doing God's will only begins when we commit ourselves to serving our Lord and Savior. It's not about doing a specific kind of assignment or a specific kind of task. The first step in doing God's will is committing ourselves to God, accepting the grace through Jesus Christ that he's given us. Dedicating ourselves to Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. Being committed. Being a disciple. Being someone who's willing to do whatever God wants me to do, which would be God's will. Now let me translate that into religious language. It seems to me that this is about justification. That is that God accepts us just like we are with all of our problems and hang-ups and difficulties. He washes away our sins and cleanses us from unrighteousness. There's nothing you can do to earn that. You don't deserve it. You can't buy it. You can't inherit it. It's a free gift from God to every one of us. And this morning, we saw this spiritual truth demonstrated right in front of our eyes. We were blessed to be part of the baptism of Milner Andrews Arnett, child of the covenant. He was clueless about what was going on, except that some man, and he didn't even know what the concept of man was, but somebody was holding him, and it wasn't mom or daddy. And this man messed with my head and put some water over it. Now, I think Milner must like baths because he did very well when he got baptized this morning. But it's a perfect example of what it means that you have been accepted even before you have any notion of Christianity or of the faith or the church or what it means to be dedicated. It's a perfect illustration of how God comes to us first. We don't go to God. And God said this morning, Milner, you belong to me. Now for a while he's on loan to you too. But he really belongs to God All of his life. In his baptism, Jesus, baptized by John the Baptist, was marked as belonging to God. When a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That same voice came down this morning saying to us that Milner was his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. Milner was accepted just as he is without growing any, without knowing any, without being any. God says, you belong to me. Now that's the first step in terms of our living out what God's will is. But following from that is the quest we have to discover what God's will is. We don't automatically have those insights. We don't automatically have that knowledge. And notice Jesus in the temple wasn't looking for some secret he was supposed to do. He was there growing in his faith and learning about his faith. The other religious term for you is called sanctification. 
That is when we begin to live out our faith, when we begin to live for God's glory, when we begin to make sure that the baptism that we are part of is lived out in our daily living. Now, we in the Presbyterian Church do a great deal well on justification. We say God loves you and God accepts you and God takes you just like you are, and then we stop. We don't push people to take some kind of action to live out that faith. And we oftentimes phrase it about the fact if you take action, that could be political and politics don't belong in the church. And yet God calls us to act on our baptism and therefore to live it out for God's kingdom and God's glory. And if you don't think there are politics in the church, ask any elder on any session if there's any politics in a session meeting. You see, justification and sanctification are two sides of the same coin. This 50-cent piece, which I hadn't seen in a long time, but I found one this past week, has got two sides to it. If you take off one side, you just have a piece of metal. But both sides are required in order to have a 50-cent piece. Both sides of justification and sanctification are required for us to have a Christian life. We're accepted by God and we're active for God. We have faith and we have action. We have beliefs and we have practices. And our calling is to discern God's will in our lives as we listen to God's word, as we listen to one another, as we listen to God's spirit And we don't always get it right. But we're constantly asking the question, what is God having me do? What is God preparing me for? Where is God leading me in my life? How can I be more faithful? Don't get hoodwinked about what would Jesus do? That's often a phrase that people use nowadays. It's just a red herring because nobody knows what Jesus would do. He didn't do anything people thought he ought to do in his life. So how can you know what Jesus would do? The question is not that. The question is, what is God doing in my life to prepare me to do something for his glory? And I don't think we ever know God's will until the end. I don't think we have a clue about God's will as we start out on something. But as we look back We can see where God's hand was there and calls me to do something or calls me to go somewhere or calls me to contact somebody. Now back to our prime sermon example this morning, Milner. Time will tell how he grows in the faith. Time will tell of his fulfillment of the baptism this morning. Time will tell of the parents' vows that they took of whether they raised him in the Christian faith. And time will tell of you as a congregation of whether you will help in the raising of him in the Christian faith. Because nobody voted no this morning. There was no people asking for abstention. All of you unanimously said, we're going to raise that kid up. So if there's need for Sunday school teachers or youth group leaders or for child care folks, You all agreed to do that. That's part of doing God's will. That's part of living out the faith that is ours. But the results of those actions will not be known for years to come. As we look back and see the difference it's made in his life, but in all the other 
infants in the last several months that have been baptized in this church. It's an awesome responsibility for parents and an awesome responsibility for a congregation. But that's what the Christian life in action is all about. It's about living out our baptism, about living out the promises that have been made for us, about living out the fact that we belong to God. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to our family. We belong to God Almighty. And declaring that in that baptism, we have been equipped in order to live for God's glory and God's kingdom. So the question of whether I'm following God's will or my will might not be framed correctly. It's one of those binary choices. You either get it or you don't. And that's not the way God operates. Either right or you're wrong. And God doesn't function that way. Instead, God calls us to claim our baptism and to live out that baptism in everything we do. And even if we mess up, God takes that feeble effort of ours and uses it for God's glory and God's kingdom if we've committed ourselves to God Almighty. So in other words, we're called to talk the talk and walk the walk. Not just talk about the faith and not just be a bunch of do-gooders, but doing both in order to fulfill God's will. For you see, that's what Jesus did in his life and ministry. He lived for God, which meant he did some things that people didn't approve of. But he was doing it because God was his father and God was his king. And he was committed to serving that father and that king. He invites us to do the very same thing so that our lives are fulfilled and our lives are for God's glory. Let us pray. Eternal God, thank you for this privilege we have through baptism, through the water, through the power of your spirit, that we can be about your work and do your will. Help us to be faithful in doing that, to live out this Christmas season in a new and different way so that you are given the praise and honor and glory. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.